<clears throat> I appreciate that prayer, Kobe, and the worship this this morning, and uh, just to get us focused and thinking in the direction that the Lord has us going today in the in the Scripture in our text. Uh, we've been in First Timothy chapter six, and uh, and we're we're going to close it up today. This will be our last Sunday. Thank you. Thank you. I was waiting to see if somebody would say, yay, but you didn't. So that's good. Only one amen out of the whole crew. Uh, so so anyway, man, I'm excited about what we've learned in 1 Timothy. There's so much good truth, and, and, and we're going to bring it to a close today. Paul is going to remind us of some things that we've already been reminded about in, in worship this morning that I want to draw our minds to. Y'all ready? Say, oh, yeah. Everybody alert? All right, here we go. Uh, the, the main thing is this, is where, where do we find our security and how does that end up in the way we live? How does that reflect the way that we live or how is it reflected in the way we live? Where do we find our security and how is that reflected in the way that we live? Uh, you know, we've already talked about a number of things in First Timothy that Paul was addressing with Timothy that were issues for them because a lot of them particularly were finding their security in what the religious people thought about them. They were finding their security in is, is what I'm believing in. Does it connect with what the Jewish leaders are saying? Are, are the Pharisees and Sadducees looking at us and saying, uh, good job. And then they weren't saying that, were they? They were saying, come away from Jesus because that's not enough. You need to also remember, you need to be circumcised. You need to follow all the feasts and festivals. You need to keep doing those things that Moses taught us in the law. Keep doing those things. And so a lot of them, their security was, was, was checked at that moment. All right? Now they, hopefully most of them, we don't know, but some of them, surely, surely they were tempted to go that way because Paul said, tell the false teachers to quit teaching that way. And then tell the people not to listen to it. All right, and we face the same kind of stuff today. Uh, so they were checked, and they had to make a decision. Are we going to go back into that mess? Or are we going to continue to just walk in the truth of what Jesus, who he is, and what he's done for us? And so Paul says, it's enough. Just tell them to keep on following Jesus. The simple truth of the gospel, the thing that changed my life, Paul said, is the same thing that's going to change them. The thing that motivates me to live for God and to go after him is the same thing that's going to motivate them. So tell them it's enough. Okay, church, I've said it over and over again. We're about to leave First Timothy. Let me say it one more time. It's enough. Y'all with me? Isn't that cool that it's enough? It's enough that you have Jesus that you have received this free gift of salvation, that you've received his imputed righteousness, and then God looks down at you and says, perfect, that's enough. Now, is that going to affect the way I live? Absolutely. If I get that, if I'm still wondering if I need to be over here in legalism, I'm going to walk in that, and, and, my, and where I find my security is here, or even part of that is over here, I'm never going to enjoy this. And I'm never going to see the fruit of this. Because you know what steals this fruit? You know what steals the fruit of a pure relationship with Jesus? And you're loving him and knowing him in, in deeper and deeper ways. You know what steals that away? It's when Satan tells you you've got to do something else. I, for years, not only believed but preached for years that you better act right. And I preached like, I was telling a group yesterday on our retreat, I preached like people didn't know what the Bible said about those things. See, the Bible says, don't be angry. So, there you go. And then some of you who were really angry that week might come during the invitation and kneel at the altar and cry and say, I'm going to be better. And then you walk out and what happens in just a a week? You're not any better. You might be worse. You know why? Because you think you can be better. By, by somebody telling you what's wrong with you. You already knew anger was wrong. And you know the Bible says don't be angry. And yet when you hear it and you're convicted, the preacher's trying to get you to say, okay, this is what it looks like. And then just come down and fix it. I'm telling you, what's wrong with you and me, with all of us, is we just don't know him well enough. We're not, we're not putting all of our focus on our relationship with him. It's a core problem. 
that all the prophets and all the Old Testament was pointing to. And it's so sad that we're going back to try and live the way the Old Testament people were when God was moving us to this the whole time. Jesus said you, to the Pharisees, he says, you guys know the scriptures and you study it and you think that by it you will, you will gain eternal life. He says, when the scriptures talked about me, he's talking about the Old Testament. It was all pointing to me. And you, you, you won't believe in me. You don't receive me. Okay? Be done with that. Be done with that. This is enough. And what grows out of this is beautiful. And it's personal. And it's heartfelt. Uh, you know, Ezekiel said, I'm going to give you a new heart and put my spirit in you. Why did he say that? He wasn't talking about a physical heart. My physical heart is the same pitiful pumper that it was before I accepted Christ. It's not good. Right? He said, I'll take out your heart of stone. When he didn't reach in our chest. If he reached in my chest before I, I prayed to receive the free gift of Christ, he would not have found a physical heart of stone. He was talking about our motivation. He was talking about what makes us walk with God, what makes us live for God, what makes us pursue God. And what it was is an internal change. It's recognizing our sinfulness and recognizing that Jesus took care of that for us and wants to give us the free gift of righteousness, washing our sins away in his blood and becoming our perfection so that God can be in relationship with us. That changed me. That changed me completely. It not only changed, as a minister of decades, God came in and changed that in my heart by showing me his grace. Now I live for God more than I ever have. And not one piece of that is a burden. Not one thing that I do in relationship, in my relationship to God and in response to my relationship to God feels heavy or feels like, oh, I just can't, I just don't want to do this. I want to. So where are you finding your security? Paul's been talking about that through the whole book. And he says, basically, I want you to find your security in Christ alone. And Christ in you is the hope that the world will ever see who God is, is Christ in you. So we need to grasp that. We need to live this. Keep ourselves centered around that truth and let it have its effect. So we've talked about all the different things that that, that will change in us. We, and particularly how uh, those who have been walking with God in that way for a while should exemplify, particularly elders, those of you who would aspire to that position, uh, elders would exemplify that. Those characteristics, which I'll read again in just a minute, uh, text brings us to that. Uh, and then deacons is who would serve, deacons and deaconesses as you would serve the body, good servants of God who also have some of those characteristics because they've been walking with God and those things are demonstrated naturally in their lives. The ones that are the best at that should serve in those positions in the body. But all of us should be re- reaching with everything we have toward those characteristics. Then he comes back at the end and says again what he said at the beginning. Paul, listen, address the false teaching. So last week, we brought that back up. The last two weeks, we brought it back up. We talked about how their teaching was all about words and arguments, but they didn't even understand what they were talking about. Paul said they, don't understand, they understand nothing, and yet they talk because they know words. They think that's, that makes them important. We talked about that, about how teachers, because they're impressive in, the, in their understanding of language or whatever, you know, that they might have a lot of knowledge, but they don't have knowledge. They might have a lot of knowledge, but they don't have knowledge, right? And they said, he said, just hold to Jesus' teaching, and that's enough. Those guys are puffed up with conceit. And if you follow them and you take their poison in, then what will happen is it's like leaven. It will get inside of you, and you will find yourself worried again, fretting again, trying to be good again, trying to pull yourself up, wanting another decision time so you can come to the altar, wanting to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and be, find something within yourself to make yourself better. And you'll be right back into that mess again. And the pit of your stomach will be sick again, and that heaviness will be on you. And that's not Jesus. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me because my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Right? Y'all with me? Say, oh, yeah. Okay. So last week we talked about that kind of godliness, this kind of godliness with contentment. That is, it's enough. This kind of godliness is enough, and I'm going to sit in it, and I'm going to enjoy it, and I'm going to let it have its effect, that that, according to Paul, godliness with contentment is great gain. 
If you hadn't got it yet, get it. It is great gain. It is the greatest gain. The best that you can experience in this life is godliness that is not godly, not acting right, being right, being in relationship with Christ and letting, it have it, letting him have his way in your life is great gain if you're content with it. So be content. Now, we talked a lot about contentment being that we're not trying to add to that anything. But also, at the end of that passage, and we'll bring it back up today, he says we should be content in all circumstances. Uh, there was an issue with these false teachers. They weren't, not only were they giving, not only were they acting like they were righteous and trying to impress people, but they were doing that in order to get money from the people. They wanted to make their living by making people think they were important and that they had something to say. And so it was pretty, pretty uh, devastating when Paul and Timothy were saying, Jesus is enough. You don't have to pay anybody anything, right? Well, he did say you need to pay the people that preach this. But you don't have to pay the people who are, are false teachers. You don't have to give in to that. He said, godliness with contentment is great gain. So don't worry about money. They're worried about money, and it's causing them to have this, it's causing this negative uh, response in their life. It's, it's, it's coloring things the wrong way. It's clouding everything. It's clouding what this is like because they, they, they're worried about, are, am I going to have enough money? Am I going to be able to, to, to function in life? Is my family going to be okay? Am I have enough food on my table? And he says, godliness with contentment is great gain. All right, now I want to take that last little portion. Today's message is about money. We never talk about money here unless the text brings it up. But we're going to talk about money today exactly the way he brings it up. Uh, and, and there's some great truth, okay? And it's not, about, it's not really about money. It's about where are you finding your security. Okay, we talked about finding your security uh, in Christ as far as your theological security or your, what you consider to be good enough to be able to, to have this relationship with God. We, found, we talked about that. Everybody likes that. You know why? Because we don't like the heaviness of this. We, we all, most of us grew up in that. We don't want that people telling us all the time how we're supposed to live. It's heavy, and we don't want to have all these expectations for ourselves even, that we're going to do better, do better, do better. We want to just focus on Jesus and let him produce that in us. That's fruit. So we abide. He produces the fruit. So we like that. But when it comes to money, we may or may not like what he says in this passage. So let's pick it up. Chapter 6, verses 11 to 21. And, uh, and if you'll commit to stay plugged into this, say, I will. Say it out loud. Thank you. All right. Here we go. 1 Timothy 6, 11 to 21. Now, I've got a couple of passages that I'm going to read today that are pretty long. Here's what happens in pretty long passages. In fact, it happens a lot of time when you just look down at your Bible, unfortunately, uh, or look up at this, at this slide, is that your mind goes to sleep. All right? This is not the time for your mind to go to sleep. I will, I'm hoping that as, we, as I read this passage, God is going to enlighten you to some truth, and then I'm just going to reinforce it. You know, because there's nothing special about me. I have the same relationship with Jesus that you have. Uh, I have education, but that's not what makes, makes us special. What makes us special is we have this relationship with the Holy Spirit who lives in us and speaks to us. So when his word, the words that the Holy Spirit wrote are spoken and read, focus. Get your mind in this, in this passage, and let's figure out for ourselves and then together what it is that the Holy Spirit is trying to tell us about our security and where we find it. As for you, oh, but... Don't let me leave that word out. We'll come back because when we see but, we ask the question, what before but? All right, we'll come back to it. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfast, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life in which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of, uh, King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, 
To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves in a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid irreverent babble and contradictions of what falsely what is falsely called knowledge. For thy professing it, some uh, for by professing it, some have ans- have swerved from the faith. Grace be to you. All right. So here we go. But, but what's he talking about when he says but? He says but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Okay. So but. Is a, we're, we're fixing to have a contrast to what he just said in the verses prior. So let's read verses 9 and 10 of chapter 6. He says, But now those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So he says to be careful about the temptations that come with a, with a love for money, a desire to be wealthy. These, these false teachers were trying to maintain their authority, which they no longer had over the people who had received Christ. They were trying to maintain their authority by impressing them with words and telling them you don't really understand. So you're not able to really understand the truth. So we're still going to have to interpret for you what your life's supposed to look like. And uh, by the way, the offering plate's going to be passed at the end of this service, right? Make sure you put your money in. They were doing it for gain. They were, they were continually teaching because they had gotten used to being paid for their ministry or their words or their knowledge that they were giving out to the people. And so they didn't want the, to lose that. And so there was a confusion about where security came from. For them, it never came from anywhere else. It only came from their giving away of knowledge that wasn't really knowledge but false teaching and, and getting people to believe that they had to have it. And so he says, in response to that, but you, he says, you, as for you, man of God, and he calls him that because he is. He is a literal man of God. He's a man after God's heart. He's a man who is pursuing God. As for you, he says, first of all, flee. Flee. That word means everything you think it means. Except it doesn't mean the thing that goes on a dog. This is the kind of different flee. Right? Flee. It means run away. It means run away, literally to run from something that is assumed to have incredible danger. Run from something that is assumed to have incredible danger. I don't know if you guys have seen the YouTube video of the guy riding a bike in the woods. Uh, he's riding a, 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 a trail bike in the woods, uh, and he's paddling and enjoying himself, and he's got his little go thing on his head, and he's videotaping what's going on. Then all of a sudden he looks over here, looks again, and there's a bear. And it's running towards him and alongside him, parallel to him, kind of getting his angle of pursuit right. <laughs> so that when the bike hits the trail at the right spot, the bear's going to be there and get him some lunch. All right, and he looks, he looks, he looks back, he looks back, and you just think, guy, keep your eye on the road because, you know, whatever that bear's going to do, he's going to do, but don't fall because that's what I'm thinking. If you fall, you're in trouble. That guy's panting heavy. He's looking back and forth. All of a sudden, his whole, everything in the video changes. At first, it was like birds, squirrels, you know. Oh, this is beautiful. So wonderful. What? Everything changed. He was fleeing, right? He got that thing pedaling as fast as he could. He took off, He and he luckily outran the bear. Okay, you want to talk about fleeing? Bear, okay? Fleeing. Bear, when a bear's coming at you and he intends to have you for lunch, that's fleeing. You getting the picture? All right, that's the feel of this word in this text. He says, as for you, brothers, sisters, those of you who are 
men and women of God, he says, flee anything that you do from the motive of financial security or financial gain. Flee it. Get away from it. Run from it like it's dangerous. Avoid it like it is a huge problem, like the worst thing that could ever happen to you. Get away from it. It will kill you. Literally, he says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Does everybody get that? Okay, I, I, I hope you're feeling that. And, and don't, look, if, you, if you're not feeling it yet because you think, yeah, but I kind of like running after bears. I'm running away from bears. All right, in other words, he might turn this on me here in a little while and tell me I'm supposed to put a bunch of money in an offering plate today. Okay, so I'm not going to tell you that. Okay, that's not where we're going with this message. You can receive this completely with joy. Receive it. This is a source of evil. And Satan will whisper in your ears, yeah, but make sure you keep yourself a little bit at bay because he might come in and tell you you're supposed to give your money away and you don't want to hear that. You know what that is? That's the enemy trying to convince you to keep your love for money. The love of money is the source of all kinds of evil. There is a better thing and a better way to handle your money. It makes you more joyful. It makes you happier. It it will give you contentment. It will give you peace in life. It will settle all the issues that you're facing because you love money. So just receive this, okay? I know it's hard, but take it. Paul says flee from it. Run from it. Don't flirt with money and and possessions because it's flirting with fire. Don't even flirt with it. Don't, it, it, all of us to today have a decision to make. And, and honestly, I can't imagine that anybody in this building, including me from this past week and continuing on into the next week, don't have to deal with this message in some way. We all are afflicted with problems and the source of those problems that Satan has convinced us that our security is in how much money we have in the bank. Our happiness is, is contingent upon how much money we have in the bank or how much money we possess, or how much we're making. And there's all kinds of evil that come from that. I'm not going to spend time talking about the evil. Uh, You just ask God. He'll show you the evil. Most of you will easily be able to to see it. So how do we flee from the love of money? How do we run from the love of money in such a way as to avoid the dangerous potential and all the evil that comes from it? Paul answers that question. He says, first of all, flee from it. And then he says, how to flee. We're not just running from it. First of all, uh, we are stretching with all our mights towards something else. We're stretching with all our mights towards something else. He says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Now, where have we heard those already? When we talked about the... The characteristics of of whom? Of Jesus, and then who else? Elders, deacons. He's already told us these things. But but he's saying it in a different light now. He's saying, you know, it's one thing to run away from stuff. It's another thing to run towards something else. And what I want you to hear today is that there's something better. There's something better. And that is a life of stretching toward God with all that you have, with stretching towards obedience to him and, and de- developing a deeper love for God and, and consequently a stronger knowledge of who he is. And Paul said that that's better than anything. He said, I consider everything else in life to be dung, which is no kids in here, poop. It is literally poop. All of life, he says, it's, it's worth nothing compared to one thing. What is it? Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It's a knowledge of God that he gains by staying right here in his life. Just loving God, obeying what God says, listening to the Holy Spirit as he speaks, reading his word so he can find out what to do next, living that way. And Paul says, this is where the gain is. And we need to realize that. If you don't know it, the only way to find it out is start living that way. Okay, I know, this is, this, I know that this is not making sense to some of you, even though I, you understand it here. You're not feeling it here. But many of you are feeling it here now. 
you're starting to feel it because you've been obeying God in this way. You've been walking in what the Spirit tells you to do. You've been obeying the Word and seeking God's commandments for your life and guidance for major decisions in your life. And you're, you're beginning to live this life where God's in control. And it's incredible. So don't just flee the love of money. But do this, church. Those of you that have been pursuing God and know that this, know how good this is, just realize there's, a, there's something still in your life that's hindering that. It's a hurdle you just need to jump over and keep moving uh, toward God on, and it's love for money. It's, it's having the wrong kinds of security still in money. How much you make, what you can buy, where that your happiness and contentment comes from, you're still depending on money, and you've got to release that. But don't just run from it or flee from it. Do that. Run from it like it's a bear that's trying to eat you for lunch. But run towards godliness. Remember when we talked about the, the uh, qualifications for elders in 1 Timothy 3. Listen to it. This is what it means. It means stretching out with all your might towards something else. He says, therefore, if an, over, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not a violent, but gentle, uh, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if, any, if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he, how will he care for God's church? He must be a, not be a recent convert or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. So there's all that. Those things start showing up in your life whenever you are pursuing Jesus with all your might. When you're really giving him, uh, when your security is found in him and just obeying him and living according to that. All right, so you want to know what it looks like? We've already talked about it. There it is. He's talked about it. So pursue. The first way to flee or to get to the first way to get away from this, this, the dangers of a love of money is to pursue something else. And I say pursue righteousness. That is obedience to what, what God tells you to do in every aspect of life. Set the table for God. Every day, get before God and say, God, how do I handle this situation with this person? who I'm having struggles with. How do I handle my wife? How do I handle my husband? What about my kids and the problems I'm feeling on the inside with them? How do I handle that? Rather than just going with your emotions or going with logic, God, how do I handle that? What about my job? What about where I live? What about a house I want to buy? What about the car that I think I need to have? God, all of it, putting it before God, and that's running after God. That is pursuing those things. That's you getting after it, man. That's stretching with all of your energy towards this relationship with God. All right, so that's one way uh, that he says we can flee from the love of money. A second thing, he says fight the good fight. Uh, or fight the good fight of faith. Let me finish that out. Fight the good fight of faith. All right, what is the good fight of faith? The good fight of faith means what is faith? Faith is the, the uh, substance of things what? Hope for and the evidence of things what? Okay, faith is not something you can see. Fight the good fight of faith. It means there's two things that are standing before you. It's the things that money can get you, and it's the things that, uh, that you can't see. It's the faith that God's going to give you what you need, that God's going to take care of you. And it's a fight. And he says, don't just give up. Don't just say, oh, I'm just tired of asking. Oh, you know, I'm just going to do what everybody else is doing. This is a fight. He says fight the fight. Fight the good fight of faith. You know, it, you, you're going to have to struggle with your possessions. You're going to have to struggle with this issue. And as you're struggling, there's going to be two sides of the coin. And if you're weighing the odds, uh, the pros and cons, then you're going to see visible things on the side of money. And you're going to see nothing visible on the side of faith. So it's hard. It's a fight, man. It's a fight when someone's telling you, just trust God, man. Go ahead and use that money for this cause that God's telling you to give to. Just use it for that. And the fight of faith is when Satan says, yeah, but if you do that, you're not going to have the money to pay your bills this month. I shared a story yesterday with some of our students that, that uh, when we were the poorest we've ever been, literally, 
God was providing week after week, and it was awesome. It wasn't awesome at first, but it became awesome later. God was giving us literally from week to week what we needed to survive. We went to my, visit my dad's church on a Sunday. He was in a little mission church. And as soon as I walked in, I started feeling like God was saying, you need to give some money to this church. And I, I almost immediately also said, that's Satan got to be because God knows we don't have any money. And, man, I just kept feeling the Holy Spirit prompting me. And, and I struggled. Man, I'm fighting the fight of faith in regard to my money. But God said, give $100. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't, I'm not good. I wasn't good. I was better back then about keeping a checkbook. Most of y'all don't even know what a checkbook is. But it's this old thing. We used to write checks instead of sending electronic funds. But anyway, I didn't know if my checkbook was even balanced. I didn't know what we had. I mean, the checkbook said we had $110. And God said, give 100 up. And I'm thinking, and I struggled. But I fought the good fight of faith. And I knew it was a struggle for me because I was struggling with what I had in my bank account what needs I knew were going to be there that week, and, and who God is. Is God going to be able to provide? Or, you know, faith. It was faith. I'm putting my faith in God. Well, by some miracle, I wrote the check out that day, put it in the offering plate, passed it up, and then it was too late to get it back, too embarrassing, too humiliating to go and ask for it back, although I did think about it. Because it was my dad. I could have said, Dad, you know, I was, I was feeling a little stupid this morning. I got a hold of something, and I gave this money. But I didn't. I let it, let it ride. Before we left the church that day, a lady walked up to me and grabbed my hand and put a little piece of paper in my hand. It was a check from her checking account. It was $200. Now, I'm not saying, I told you I wasn't going to preach about tithing and giving. I'm not saying whatever you put in this plate, you're going to get double that back. I'm tempted to say that, but I'm not saying that. Whatever you give, I'm not saying that God doubles your money. I am saying that there's a fight that goes on. There's a struggle that goes on. Every time that God tells you to do something with your money, there's going to be a struggle that goes on. And, and, and maybe one day in some of these areas you're going to be okay. Like well, whatever you, you uh, agree with God, you're going to give to the church uh, on a regular basis. Whatever you agree with God on that, that you might get used to that. It fits into your budget. But God may even challenge you in that. I can't tell you how many times God's challenged us to give more. You know, we started with 10% because I was taught to tithe. But then I quickly, God started challenging me that tithe was, it was not testing my faith. It wasn't stretching me. And he started challenging us for more and more and more. And now we're just, you know, now we're at the point where we realize you can't outgive God. Whatever you give it, it's, it, there is a fight that goes on, and you need to struggle through that and trust and realize that, that God, the unseen, is the, the, our provider. The fight of faith is one of unseen against seen. It's also one of logic against wisdom. The fight of faith, the good fight of faith, is, is, is when you're fleeing the love of money and you're going to fight this fight, it is a fight of logic versus wisdom. Look at First uh, Corinthians. We read some of this already, but I want to read the rest of it. And again, this is a pretty healthy passage. First Corinthians chapter 3, verses 18 to 23. Paul said this to that church. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become as a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise and they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours. And you are Christ's and Christ is God's. So he's saying... In regard to wisdom, if, it's a, if, it, if it is a, uh, a fight of man's wisdom against God's wisdom, against logic, against, uh, against what God is saying, uh, then, then you can re- realize that that fight is real. That fight, you need, to, you, you need to fight on the side of faith, not on the side of logic. Story after story in the Old Testament and New Testament. The Bible is full of illogical actions. God telling men to do things that don't make sense. 
If you're going to base your life on logic, just know you are not running from the love of money. It is illogical to do things with your money that God tells you to do. If you're not doing anything illogical with your money, good chance that you're walking in man's wisdom. Now, prove me wrong. Ask God about what you're doing with your money. Prove me wrong. The American dream is logic. And most of us have spent our lives pursuing it. This idea that we we are owed or we should have a certain kind of house, a certain kind of car, a certain amount of money in the bank, a certain amount of, of disposable income to do the things that we like to do, all of that stuff that we should be secure and set up, and financially we should have everything already there. That's logic. Now, can God do all that? I can testify that he can. We're going to talk about the rich here in a minute. The rich were doing that. They were following biblical principles that God was giving them to follow, but they were doing it because God gave it to them to do. But when when there's a fight because God is saying, do this, and logic says, do this, uh, you better flee from that. You better flee from the logic in that point. Some of you need to, need to question whether what you're doing with your money is God's will or not. And a way to flee from that, he says, is to fight the good fight. Fight the good fight of faith. And faith in, in, is, not, is unseen, and it's, and it's wisdom, not logic. All right, and number three, take hold of eternal life, he says, to which you were called. And he goes on and describes that eternal life and, and describes Timothy's calling, but He's, you know, listen, here's the truth that he's trying to communicate there. If I were to ask you where we live, I know that you would say in the United States, or you might say in Pineville or Alexandria or Ball or Jeaner. We've got quite a few Jeaners here today. Or Thibodeau, Ray Raceland. You know, we live, you might say that, but let me ask you this. This, this has come up a number of times for me uh, during this, as I've been praying about and thinking about the election and what's going to happen to our country here in November. You know, because we, we're, all, we're all bothered by candidates in the election. And the only, the only piece that I can get is that I don't, I don't, even though I live here in this world, I, I'm a part of another world, a, a more real world. I live in the kingdom of God. The Bible describes the kingdom of God and living in the kingdom of God uh, in the Beatitudes, beautiful picture of what it's like to live in, in, the, in the kingdom. When you, when you join the kingdom of God, when God gives you the free gift of eternal life and you are part of his kingdom, then everything changes for you. You are no longer bound by the, the uh, limitations of this physical world. You now have, have the creator of this physical world living in your life, walking with you daily, and able to provide for you everything that you need. That changes everything. The fact that we live in the kingdom of God means that, uh, it, it means that we have all the potential of every resource that is available in the known universe and unknown universe available to us every day, every moment of every day. Everybody getting that? You want to talk about a bank account? Show yours to God. Let him show his to you and see which one you want to be a part of. That's the picture he's painting here. All right, so take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Take hold of it. What does it mean to take hold of it? It literally means walk in it. Walk in this eternal life. Take hold of it. Don't just take hold of it in your mind. Walk in this eternal life. And so when it comes to your money, flee your bank account. Flee that, the stuff that you think money can get you and you're finding your security in that and run towards an eternal bank account that never ends. Now, I know that sounds like a really, really uh, sermony kind of idea. The life I can tell you, uh, church we know, as, a, as those of you that have been with this church for long enough, know that we have made decisions uh, where we have made those decisions with an eternal perspective, not with a logical perspective. We've made those decisions because God said do it, and it didn't make any sense. We've done it over and over again. 
And, and regarding money, remember when we first started this church uh, nine years ago, we took $300,000 and we put it against a, a, a church building that the crazy bank gave us $300,000 <laughs> worth of credit and our, and our building was only worth $300,000. They gave us 100% of credit. Banks don't do that in case y'all don't know that. We got 100% uh, loan to value on that. And they gave us that money. We paid off all of our bills uh, with that money. And then nine months later, that loan was paid off. The, the few little group of us that started the gathering place. And we kept on paying everything else. Uh, $300,000 in nine months. Now, that might sound like to some, a lot to some of you. If it doesn't, I do want to offer you the offering plate today as an option. You can take it home, bring it back uh, if you need to. Uh, man, that's, God's done all kinds of things like that. We, we lost our buyer for our property. I told you that last week, right? Remember that? Uh, the buyer that we've been working with now for seven, eight months. I've been trying to get the place ready so that they could buy it. Backed out. You don't know what happened to him, where he is. We haven't even put a sign back up on the property, and we have a buyer for three acres of that uh, property. And we'll, we'll, we'll sign the contract tomorrow. I mean, he's ready to buy right now. We'll have $145,000 coming from that t- tomorrow or, you know, within this month. That's, that's what it's like to operate in the kingdom of God. We don't fret about whether somebody backs out or not because it's not about that. We're not depending on that guy to buy our property for our security. Everybody with me say, oh, yeah. We're, 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 we are operating in the kingdom of God. And, and God's going to take care of us. And, and we're fine if we have church out on the street. Some of us. At least during the fall and spring. Uh, we don't, you know, we don't need a building, but God's given us this, so we're going to use it. And Ari likes that. Or was that Brooks? Brooks said amen. Somebody, finally. All right, so guys, take hold of eternal life. Take hold of the eternal life that you, to which you were called, and you will be running away from the love of money. You know what I love? I love that I live with the one that makes the money. I love that the one that, that created money and all of the, the, the resources in this world and owns the cattle on a thousand hills, he lives in me and he loves me and he is my provider. That changes everything. I'm not running, just running from the love of money. I'm running to him. And he's got all this taken care of. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we read this passage, a portion of this already. I want to read the rest of it. Uh, verses 6 through 15. He says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided where? In his heart. Okay? Don't give because somebody talks you into it, because somebody tells you, hey, man, you, you know, don't give out of your mind. Give out of your heart because you love God, because you're pursuing God. Give that way. You should give that way, out of your heart, as you've decided in your heart. Uh, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And here's the support we're looking for. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he who has distributed freely has given to the poor his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower Bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will provide thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. Where did that money come from? It came from their confession of the gospel of Christ. They were taking hold of eternal life. And the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of your surpassing grace, uh, the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for your inexpressible gift. All right, so, so guys, listen, we need to pursue righteousness, godliness. We need to fight the good fight of faith, and we need to take hold of this kingdom idea 
that we have eternal life, that God is with us, and walk in that. All right, and then finally, if you're already rich, he has a word for you. Uh, You notice he doesn't say this about Timothy. So Timothy obviously is not rich. He is a Baptist preacher. He's not rich, so he's, he says, if you're already rich, Timothy, this is what I want you to tell them. It's not wrong to be rich. Let me just say that. Okay, if you're wealthy and you think I'm saying it's bad to be wealthy, I am not saying that. Matter, matter of fact, I want God to bless you financially. I want you to have all that you can possibly uh, stand if you can flee from it and remain in the kingdom of God and walk in his way and come to know him, and it doesn't become a hindrance to you. But he says it's, it's almost impossible. It is difficult for people with money to be able to use it correctly and not let that be their security, all right? So he says this, as for the rich in this present age, this is verse 17, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. He calls it uncertainty. I like that. But on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. All right? Come right back there, back down to where we started. When I'm fleeing from, from uh, the love of money, I may have a lot of it. And if I've got a lot of money in the bank and I'm freeing from the love of that money, it means I am looking at ways that I can share it to the glory of God, ways that I can give it that will bless the work of God, that will cause people to to honor God, that will cause more people to come to God. I'm looking at all of that. And the reason why I'm doing that, I am also fighting the good fight. I'm also pursuing godliness. I am also walking in the kingdom even though I have money. And maybe don't have to for security's sake. But God calls that uncertain. He says, but the reason why you need to flee all of that, ultimately, is the same reason why Timothy and all of us poor people need to also flee from the love of money is because we, can, we want to take hold of what is truly life. What is truly life. What is truly life is Jesus Christ. What is truly life is living with him. What is truly life was, is is being more and more like him. It's knowing him deep, more deeply through obedience. What's truly life is having God as your provider rather than holding on to what you got in the bank. All right, now, I don't know how that falls or hits any one of you. I just know we've completed First Timothy, and I feel pretty good about it. But at the end of it all, here's what he says. There's some false teaching going around. A lot of false teaching is going around, and people are listening to that. And, and you, you will hold on to it in all different kinds of areas of your life if you're not careful because it is addictive. It is like leaven. It gets in you. But, but you need to release any kind of uh, right living based on what somebody convinced you to do and, and run towards God, even in the way of your finances and how you handle your money. Don't let your money steal away what God has planned for you. God has a great plan for your life. It's awesome. The life in Jesus is incredible. Knowing him in deeper ways every day is awesome, and it will absolutely uh, be incomparable to anything you can gain that money could bring. Learn that by experience. All right, that's our challenge. Let's pray. I'm going to take just a second before we, we worship this morning while your heads are bowed and you're kind of focusing on your life and turning, trying to tune everything else out. I want to ask you to do this. What specific thing did God bring to mind for you today in regard to your money? In what way are you still finding your security in what you got in the bank? And I want to ask you to just talk to God about that for a second before I pray. Would you do that just real quietly, you and God?
Father, make sense of this sermon to our lives. God, we've tried to be true uh, to exactly what the scripture says here. It's challenging, uh, God, for all of us. None of us are, are free of the struggle that comes with a love for money or really just having allowing money to have the wrong kind of position in our lives. So my prayer for each person today is whatever it is that they just mentioned to you, Father, that you will help them to flee from that and to do that by pursuing righteousness and godliness that is pursuing you and the life that comes from that. That they would fight the good fight, not just to give in, Lord, but fight and not allow themselves to be deceived by the enemy and not ever think that, that there's a mixture of, of possessions and Jesus that makes us happy. But God, they would sell out to you and trust in you even though they can't see it. And then, Father, that we would take hold of eternal life. It is that we would, we would so um, bountifully because we know that you are our provider. That we would be quick and ready uh, to give whatever it is you tell us to give to whomever or whatever you tell us to give it to. Just one more way we can experience you, God. And if there's anyone rich here today, God, I thank you for them. I pray that you will bless them. And Lord, that they will never find themselves depending on the uncertainty of their riches and putting their hope in that. But like the rest of us, God, that they will store up treasure in heaven for the future by using their monies to bless and to give as you lead them. Our resources are yours, God. You've been so faithful to provide for this church and to provide for each of us in our own homes, and our, our own lives. And we understand, God, all of us to some degree, that you are our provider. May you make it clear, God, as we obey you. Uh, more clear that you are that. And we will trust you with that. Father, we worship you today as our provider. We worship you as the king of the kingdom that we that we live in and we dwell in.